I'm Nicolene Berger and I'm Jana Fosler and this is Eret. some other Eret news um, some of you might have listened to our episode on the wedding performance that I did with Mandri Sutherland we had a two-part episode on that and great news for those that missed out we're doing another performance in Stellenbosch on the 4th of September <laughs> so the links will be available on our page for you to buy a ticket this is a little bit before all of those links are available so I'm guessing that it'll be available in our link tree in the link in our bio but we will communicate that as soon as it's possible and really exciting Eret is going to be at this wedding afterwards with a little recording booth where everyone that has attended the performance that want to speak about their experience can come give some comments so you can look forward to that also on the note of expanding Eret so we've we are very expanded now with Marga here and <laughs> we've, we've been expanded but now we want to expand more if you are someone who is super into podcasts maybe you don't have your own podcast yet but you are thinking about it maybe you've listened to our episode and you thought sure maybe they should master and equalize a bit better that's, <laughs> maybe terms that's we all know. i know maybe you know about a program that's better with editing software maybe that's your passion or maybe you just want to have fun and experiment a bit and be part of Eret. then please let us know we are very excited to welcome another member in our team who can help us edit some of our podcasts produce them maybe on a higher qu- standard or quality and yeah in any way that will serve you so Please reach out to us. We'll make some squares, squares and boxes <laughs> and things for you to submit your WhatsApp number or email address or whatever. Oh. So yeah, this is a call to action for anyone who's sitting and wanting to become part of our team. And if you want to be part of our team in some other way, also let us know. Yeah, if you know there's a way that you think our project can extend um, and expand, at the moment we're growing very organically and it is still a labor of love. So like with Margot, we want to make this opportunity available for you to kind of build your portfolio, figure out things that you want to do, maybe even develop a business out of it for yourself. So if you're interested in starting a production company and you need a guinea pig to practice on and you think we can do with a bit more transition music in the background or you know something that makes your identity as an audio producer a little bit more clear in our podcast we will definitely reference you in all of the podcasts we can record a little outro that also has your production company name and um, philosophy or whatever in so really looking for someone to help us with (laughs) editing (laughs) Good morning, Eret listeners. So we are here in my Grot studio, three together today with Jana and Margot, and we're going to have a conversation with our latest team member. She's our square designer, and we're going to talk a bit about what she is interested in, what she's working on, and how she got to air it. 
Um, Jana, do you want to tell us how you met Margot and why Margot is <laughs> in our life at the moment? <laughs> I feel like Margot might have been, she would have been here anyways, but yeah. <laughs> um, I met Margot in Amsterdam when I was on a three-month exchange for my studies which ended up being a traveling experience more than a study experience, <laughs> mostly because of Margot as well. <laughs> but um, I'm, I was volunteering at an Afrikaans festival, the festival for, fe- for Afrikaans. For <laughs> Afrikaans. And then I saw there were quite a few other South Africans and I met Margot there. And the next day was actually, it was either the next day or the day after it was Friday, Heritage Day in South yeah, Africa. It was like the Monday after, <laughs> and we South Africans decided to make a little bry, but you. <laughs> <laughs> and no one else was. We were very enthusiastic. We were probably the only people who wanted to see it through. It wasn't just a discussion. So when Margot messaged me that she ordered a kilogram of Budavos from <laughs> someone just outside of Amsterdam and she's ready for the bry, and I should. I should start preparing artapos <laughs> potato salad. <laughs> then I knew we were on a friendship journey. <laughs> um, so we had our braai. We actually told the people that the charcoal was defective because it this fire couldn't, couldn't start. We couldn't get the fire started. Oh my gosh! But um, it was like one of those really bad. It wasn't like a braai. No. A struggle. It was such a struggle, and we overcooked everything. And but it was a lot of fun. And then I'm that's how I met Margot. And then we started going to museums together and exploring the Netherlands. Exploring. We went to Switzerland. We went to Belgium. <laughs> um, so yeah, we just became kind of travel companions in that time. Margot also fed me because I had a very low budget, and she was an au pair. And she would invite me to her house and give me salmon and vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds lovely. That's my story. And then Margot came back to South Africa and we reconnected. And yeah, I, she actually, I invited her very last minute to our wedding. And I think that's where you guys met. So maybe yeah. you can tell your story. <laughs> yeah, I think I met Margot at Jana's wedding and then also connected over similar interests within the like spiritual experience and spiritual practice. And that's kind of, how, what we talk about when we see each other and she is an amazing designer and architect so I was super inspired when Jana told me that um, Margot could be the addition to our team that we need for our um, social media and then when Margot showed us her portfolio I was floored I was like <laughs> oh my word we've struck gold so also within the visual language there's a lot of touch points that I think also extends our project beautifully and we have very exciting collaborations coming in the future for um, for the podcast and specifically around the square design I'm not going to say too much about that but you can you can look out for some beautiful prints and things coming soon. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my my introduction to Margot and how I have experienced her until this point. <laughs> Margot, do you want to say something about your history and like kind of how you got yeah. to hear it? And just uh, welcome, yeah, by the thank way. You. <laughs> thank you for the beautiful introductions. Um, good to be here in a formal capacity. <laughs> so I think Jana messaged me earlier this year and asked if I would be interested in helping and I finished my master's last year so I haven't started working yet much to my father's not annoyance or disappointment but he's not too happy about that (laughs) (laughs) and I I've spent this past year kind of just 
integrating. We'll get to the topic of integration later, but Masters last year was a very, very intense time and very enjoyable, very transformative, but I needed time to live actually a bit and that's what I've been doing. So yeah, when Yana messaged me and said they needed someone, I was like, yes, I have time. I've got things in me that need to be expressed. So this is a really good platform for me to do it. And since I've been with you guys, there's so much been happening and so much have changed and my whole perspective on life and like where I want to be and what I want to be doing has changed so much. So I'm really grateful for you for giving me the opportunity to be here and be a part of this team and engage with content that I wouldn't otherwise be engaging with. Yeah, that's pretty much me. <laughs> we match your gratitude, like, yeah. I think, <laughs> times 50. Cause... I meet you and I raise you. Like, <laughs> so thankful for, yeah, like we, Nicolene and I had like a little retreat there and we thought about how, what we want to do with Eret and how we want to take it further. And as Nicolene said, we literally like manifested for Margo to come and she, like more than what we expected came along. And it's always been, I think... Nicolene and I said in the beginning that we had this podcast because this is the kind of conversations we have anyways, like when we phone each other or uh, in voice notes or whatever. And I feel like it's the same with Margot. Like we also have so many Eret-like conversations Mm -hmm. in our own capacities. Like we might just be driving here or going to the beach or whatever, but there will always be, she's always very like inspiring with the type of Mm -hmm. topics she wants to air out. So I think Mm -hmm. that's why it's also add that she's, I guess, beyond her visual contributions, because Marga has a lot to add. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking is not my strong point, but it's okay. We make it work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, visuals definitely are. Visuals and writings. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Margot's uh, thesis topic for last year, but also where she's going in the future. So I think the first question I want to ask you is, what draw, drew you to architecture? Why this spatial fascination? And how was your experience like writing and creating spaces within that discipline? Mm, okay. Um, architecture was never really something I considered, but... I went to like a career guidance person. What are they called? Yeah, career career guidance person. <laughs> <laughs> People. Um, and she was like, yeah, I told her I want to be an artist. And she's like, no, you need structure. I'm like, oh, damn, okay. <laughs> so when she said architect, everything was like, oh, okay. Because on the one side, I'm very like practical and um, like structured as a person. And on the other side, I'm like super free thinking and creative and thinking out of the box. So architecture was always that happy medium between science and art, Mm. making functional art, basically. Mm. And that was kind of where I started. But since I've become much more interested in the conceptual side and how architecture can represent ideas and space and facilitate soul-based living, Mm. which we'll get to a bit later as well. And what was the other part of the question? I can't remember. No, that like how you got to architecture, but also what was your experience in writing a project, like creating this thing in that discipline? Yeah, it was very interesting doing a master's because it's a structured master's. So we get like little assignments along the way and we have different subjects and each subject has like its parts. So it's construction and design and theory are the main parts. Um, And they all come together to, at the end, create a written document which explains the design. Mm. So that 
you have to be able to design something. So you take a theory, for some people, many of my friends, the theory was like not important at all. But for me, the theory was the most important part because that is how I related meaning to architecture is how I can induce ritual mm. and myth and ways of thinking through built form. Mm. And the process itself of masters was so intense with COVID mm. um, because architecture is so practical. Mm. We spend a lot of time in studio physically with our lecturers. They draw on our plans and like give us idea- ideas. And having to sit like a thousand kilometers away, I was here in Cape Town. I studied in Bloemfontein <laughs> for context. It was so difficult and I just felt so removed and I felt myself most of the year not being able to produce anything. Mm. So the last two months, I think, were absolutely crazy. I think Jana can relate to that as well with her master's The grind. (laughs) The grind. But it's also so interesting because I would literally spend like 16, 17, 18 hours a day in studio working, like full stop. I've never worked so hard in my entire life. And I hopefully never will again. (laughs) But it was so interesting that I didn't become tired. And that was because I was doing something that I loved Mm. and something that I truly believed in. And I was so committed to finishing it and Mm. doing it well that I kind of disappeared. Mm. Like it was just this thing being born out of me. Mm. And it was just, it was so fulfilling. Mm. And being able, I never finished my projects and my master's is not finished either, but just being able to get something to a point where the conceptual aspect is so strong Mm. and that I kind of started to bring that conceptual aspect into build form as well Mm. and just making it beautiful, Mm. (laughs) making it look good. What does it mean that the project is not finished? You finished Um, your master, so how do you, what is the project's not finished? I, throughout my five years of study, I never actually finished a project. So I I tend to spend a lot of time conceptualizing And then um, when it comes to actually finishing the building and working out details, I, I don't get to that part. So it's not like building the model, but having the building actually built. Or, no, no, like okay. we just, we design the building, we do the plans and the pictures and the perspectives and the model. So all of that was finished, but it was a little bit neglected, mm. if I could put it that way. So, so it, like it a few finer been, details. It could have been better. Okay. But it if was I, still adequate to it get was still the good, degree. Yeah. It's just that like yeah. it didn't you didn't finish what you set out for yourself maybe to accomplish or um, um if I look at the way that I am and the way that I want to do it, I accomplish that. But in terms of what it was expected of me I didn't. Yeah, like well I I did, like I did well enough. Oh. But I wasn't like a I'd blinker student (laughs) I never was but I think the main reason for that is that I actually I do things my own way Mm. and people give me a brief but I'm just like "Mm, okay if you say that but I'm gonna do this other thing that I want to do (laughs) the thing that that fulfills you yeah the thing that makes me interested and keeps me Mm. happy and I think at the end of the day like why do I want to be doing someone else's work like why do I want to follow someone else's vision when I believe so strongly in my own yeah that's also then the motivator to kind of push you into that space of dissolving into the birth of this project because then you are 
deeply invested. It's a part of your being being birthed, not just someone else's idea that you have to kind of push through the birthing canal. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun experience. I yeah. loved it. <laughs> Amazing. Even though it was really, really hard, yeah. So do you want to tell us a bit about like what your mm. actual, what your project was about and also how you got to that specific topic and so, theme and building? Um, I approach things quite organically and it's always interesting when you look back you see all the signs but when you're on the path you don't always realize what exactly was happening but so one of my lecturers men mentioned the year before my masters when we were thinking about topics he mentioned um, the sun the bushmen I don't want to call them bushmen because they weren't bushmen but the sun and um, how they their rituals of trance allowed them to reach different states of consciousness and what effect that ha had on their art as well and I just kind of that immediately resonated so I kind of took that and in January last year I did a side visit I found a site which had amazing rock art and I went there and things just kind of fell into place so I went on this hike we hiked like not even far I think it was far it was eight kilometers um, to the top of a mountain and there was this cave with literally the most beautiful rock art I have ever seen in my life it was like you go in and it's just this massive wall of Irland upon Irland, like superimposed on one another and the colours were so beautiful. Where is this? In the Drakensberg. Okay. That's a very important mm. part. So it's in the Drakensberg, <laughs> in the southern part, called the Kamberg Mountain. And um, all the way there, I had a guide explaining everything and he, it was just me and him. And his grandfather was a shaman. So he was very, and he studied geography as well, so he was very knowledgeable. He knew, like, everything about the area, and he's visited most rock art sites in South Africa. So, like, a really, really nice guy. There's one just here in a mountain. Oh, um, really? Yeah, in Fishuk, there's a, a a cave where there's original rock paintings oh, as well. See that. Yeah. Um, so, he, yeah, he explained a lot of the spiritual aspects of it. And that was kind of an eye-opening moment, seeing how, what we think about as rock art, because, like, in South Africa, we kind of know it. We go visit it when we're small. We're like, okay, cool. There's some people running around with spears and like some animals. But when you actually know the context within which it was created, then it becomes so transformative because the Bushmen or the Sun, they didn't live in caves. So we think they lived in, they didn't. They lived in huts. The caves were their churches. So they went to, they took like a literal pilgrimage up the mountain to the cave and then they did their rituals, their dances, their medicine songs, and they entered trance. And painting was what they did after the trance. So they literally painted their experiences in the other world. And um, wow. yeah, I'm getting like goosebumps saying Me oh. too, because I, I listened to, sorry for interrupting you, but it just mm. came up now. I listened to this extremely powerful talk by Terrace McKenna on mm. opening the doors to creativity. And he has this beautiful quote where he says, all artists are antennae to the transcendental other and when we enter that state with our own history and the history of the collective then we are able to kind of like break through the, the barriers of consciousness and then he said that we've forgotten that the scientist the doctor and the artist original title was the shaman mm. and only now through the arts we can still speak in terms of the force the muse the inspiration the vision all of the other fields have kind of left that behind so mm. art is our only hope to transcend 
our levels of consciousness and kind of break through the barriers that we've created in the society at the moment. So I just thought that that linked so beautifully with this talk that I listened to. And I felt like I could die after I listened to that talk because I was like, this is it. This is, you know, when you see the rock painting, you understand the context and the connection it had to Mm. breaking out of the human form. Then you, you can see how art can create a future. Yeah, exactly. And that also ties really nicely with um, what I've learned about kind of the role of science and art and that a while ago I don't know like I'm not good with history but science was seen as almost a spiritual metaphysical task it was you were inspired and it was not this cold logical thing that we see it as now and I think by seeing science as cold and logical you lose a lot of the magic because Mm. it is magic discovering that we are literally made of like little balls of energy is fucking amazing Mm. and yeah, so I think when people think of science, we we like put science and art against each other, but actually it's the same. It's the same thing. Oh, yeah, it's and it's, it's the mm. same. Even the origins of philosophers were as well. The mathematicians, the scientists, mm. um, even the in the beginning, the mythical uh, originating from like the original myths and how philosophers developed that further. But it's it's always been or it was so connected. Same with the artists. So it is interesting. And I think mm. a lot of people in their disciplines still do that. Like I have a friend who's a scientist and he, well, I just say scientist like I know it. <laughs> yeah, he's a very specific kind of scientist that I can't tell you now. But they did a project of art people as well where like scans they took of people's brains or even like cancer stuff. And then the art people made like digital art from it and mm. like further develop it. So also when we can acknowledge the roots you, you can there's so many cool ways of collaborating mm. anyway that's an aside Morgo. Sure. <laughs> so you <laughs> went to you went the, to the cave church yeah, and I went <laughs> up the mountain um and on the way there i was talking to the guide and he said that these mountains are known for magic mushrooms and i was like what <laughs> <laughs> there's magic mushrooms growing naturally in this area what are you telling me and he's like yeah They've been using it literally for centuries. And that's the first time that actually, like, it clicked that psychedelics and altering substances is not just something found in the Amazon and Mexico. It's literally a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, in all the ancient cultures. I think there's, like, a research says that 90% of societies in the world use some state of altered consciousness. And whether it be prayer, meditation, yoga, there's, like, some way that people use which transcends them or transcends the usual states of consciousness and um yeah that's kind of where it started and i literally got back the sunday from the drakensberg and then there was a documentary on netflix about psychedelic psychotherapy and i was like yes okay all the signs are coming i'm gonna do this (laughs) (laughs) and my lecturers were also into it they're like yeah this is good i was thinking that we're gonna say no you can't do something illegal how you're gonna position yourself but they were also keen for it and i was just so happy that everything just literally worked out so yeah that's where that kind of started and um then we go through the whole process of creating like little sculptures of what the concepts are and 
thinking about structure and making touchstones. So this is now the structure within the where the ritual will take place. So you were fascinated by the ritual and the structure of the cave. Uh, structure of the master's thesis. Okay. Yeah, so I didn't really use the archetype of a cave in the design. The design was more generated by the concepts. Okay, what does um, that mean? What does it look like physically? So so we identify three concepts in the how our masters work is we identify three concepts and then you can either combine the three or just use one or whatever but the concepts come from the theory so my concepts are based on the ways which the sign used to see the other side to look beyond the veil Hmm. so my concepts were ritual trance and myth and i related each of them to how the body relates to that specific concept ah. and how that can influence architecture. Okay. So um, the concept of myth was how they depicted their stories, what stories they told and what truth their stories hold for them in their physical lived experience. Um, because for the sun, there was no real distinction between real life and spiritual life. It was all interconnected and they knew that what you do in your physical life affects the spiritual life as well. And what you do in your spiritual spiritual life affects your physical life. There was no distinction. And the activity of the body or the role of the body in myth for the sun was painting. So they used the body as a means of expressing. And in architecture, I took that to mean um, the narrative of the building. So how can a building tell a story? How can it curate experience through how the spaces are connected to each other. What was the other thing? Oh, it's... <laughs> it's um, a, a trance. <laughs> trance? Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. So myth is also um, on the horizontal plane. So okay. it happens linearly. Okay. Um, because so it's a narrative. Because it's a narrative, yeah. So the other ones, ritual happens in a circle ah. and trance happens vertically. Ah. Interesting. Yeah. So, and is it also... Does it also have to do with almost like how the how the if you say the narratives were like the stories that they depicted through art mm. so do you also see that hor- horizontal level in their art or if you if you look well if you think about myths they're all interconnected in some way so it's not as linear um it's actually well, i don't know it's like very organic i just mm. see in my head like a bunch of circles with interconnecting lines and it's like mm. it's a mess but it's ordered but the way that i saw it in my mind relating it to the horizontal is because it's on the plane of the human mm. like on the ground you it's can on, speak about it you can speak about it you can like literally partake in it and it's through an intellectual level that you transcend but you don't really transcend through your body mm. so that's why it's like literally walking along a line or mm. walking along a lineage even so this is bringing up for me um, I read Eat Pray Love and mm. I had a big resistance to read it because I've never watched the movie and there was this whole hype about it. And I was like <laughs> anti-hype, so I'm not going to read it. And then one teacher gave it to me and she's like, this was a really, really great book for me to read. And I think you're like more or less at the same place in your life now when I was in my 20s. So please read this. And then Elizabeth Gilbert writes about the shamans being people that lived at the edge of the clan or the society. So they were the people that went into the mountain, into the forest, Mm. like deep into places to have experiences. And then to come back and to relate that to the tribe or the clan or the people in order for them to move up in terms of consciousness and how they think and how they relate. And then she said that what we've forgotten is that these experiences they had 
being with a trance state induced by medicine or by drumming or by jumping or by dancing, those experiences transcend our ordinary experiences. So if Mm. you have a medicine journey, oftentimes you can't speak about it because your mind literally creates new connections. So it's it, it, it transcends language. So now how do you come back as a medicine man and tell the tribe about something that is not in common consciousness? You create a metaphor. Mm. And that metaphor is supposed to be a way for you to get to that understanding. But now in common religion, we've forgotten that the words that we use is a metaphor for the experience that you can have. There's something outside of the metaphor. So I'm seeing what you're saying Mm. about myth. Similar, it's the metaphor for the uh, transcendental experience. But in order to understand the transcendental experience without having it, you need to have something that functions on the like you say horizontal plane yeah, on the common exactly. consciousness the words and the images that we use to mm. speak about it exactly that's so profound what you said and that's exactly what i was also writing about in my thesis is everything is a metaphor but we're just not always aware that it is mm. and i think yana and i also had this conversation quite early in our friendship is that the whole bible is a metaphor yeah and it was written by people with extraordinary states of consciousness yeah. And we can't just relate that as fact. There might be some facts in it. I don't know. But it doesn't actually matter because the metaphor is so strong and so important. So that's just one way of relating it to our everyday Western life. And how we've kind of forgotten Mm. how important myth actually is in telling us some truth about the human experience and yeah. also that as um, a meaning ma- sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> as a meaning making but also as the removed case Jan and I've also spoken on the podcast often about concepts signifier signified mm. and I think this is also where the metaphor gets lost on us that we have created these words to speak about things that exist in the physical world and often we get lost from the word mic and the actual thing of mic and what I mm. perceive the mic and all of that plays into how we make meaning and how we speak about things in the world so the metaphor like you says is everywhere like when I speak about a glass of water the term a glass of water is separate from the glass of water mm. it's only used to indicate that there is something there yeah. um, and that is also like the the myth is it, it indicates that there's an experience to be had or some kind of knowledge to access mm. but it's not the knowledge of the words <laughs> exactly I'm also at the moment reading um, Women Who Run With The Wolves oh. and I know <laughs> oh. I know you love that book as it's my bible yeah well it it definitely can be and I see so much value in it it's just so amazing how she literally like tells a story and then I'm like okay cool 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 story and then <laughs> and then she explains it and I'm just like what mm. There's so many layers and so many levels, and I think myth also speaks to that, is that there's so many layers in our everyday experience, and to be fully <clears throat> aware, like we can't, like working through those layers takes an immense amount of time and energy, and dedication actually, and <coughs> allowing yourself the time to think about things properly and to feel about things properly, that's actually oh. my favourite way of dealing with anything, is to feel about it. Yeah. Um, most important way I yeah. say <laughs> we think too much we think get too lost much, in the metaphor <laughs> exactly and um, anyway so that was that part so to the horizontal the horizontal um, then ritual ritual is probably my favorite favorite <sighs> thing in the entire world so ritual I related to the sound act of dancing 
which happened in a circular movement or actually not circular but spiral because you physically move in a circle but your soul goes up Mm. so you go in a spiral and then eventually like transcend the body and an architecture ritual connotates a gathering so wherever there's a space where people come together and the research I'm doing at the moment is called a center so where myth would be the path gathering would be the center um, and ritual, where the ritual takes place is arguably the most important part of a house or a city. So in cities we have squares and oftentimes we have um, important streets leading to the square. In the house we have a, well, the gathering part in the house at the moment is like a kitchen, I yes. guess. Mm. I was just thinking of a kitchen yeah. lounge. And it's interesting how that has changed through the ages as well. But thinking about how architecture can support ritual and support gathering through the making of space, making a center and having a narrative that leads up to that center allows us to add more meaning to the center. Instead of it just having an open space, we have like all these added layers of meaning, which adds to the experience of it and making it more of a um, visceral experience rather than just a physical experience. Mm. So, yeah, ritual is very important in my life as well, and we can talk about it later, but... But while we're on the topic, mm. let's talk about it, maybe, because I thought this is amazing that you related it to circle, and mm. I also have a lot rituals, very big part of my life and part of my spiritual practice. So when we have women's groups that come together, we say, we gather in circle, mm. come sit with us in circle. In yeah. my Creative Goddess workshop, I invite women to come sit in circle and make mm. something. And we open the circle in the mm. beginning yeah. and then you close the circle. So the circle is, and you sit in a circle. It's such a archetypal form. Like mm. if you think about the room as well, the room is, symbolizes a circle it's it's a gathering it's making sure that the outside is is almost enforced or protected mm. and having sacred things happen in Inside. the center and you have the altar in the center of the circle exactly, which you then yeah. move around or dance around or, yeah. yeah and in so many cultures throughout the world the circle is used as a sacred space so in the parthenon in is it in not in venice in Rome mm. the Parthenon is in Rome <laughs> it's basically a dome mm. and like in the center of the dome there's a hole in the roof so the water like when it rains it dips through but the water like um, con- not condenses or so vaporizes mm. before it hits the ground so you just kind of see the drops coming wow. down and vaporate it's so cool um, so that's in a circle and what's even like thing? if you think about the uh, arena or like the Colosseum yeah or like yeah. um yeah, all the, in Athens also, like those mm. rooms. Those, what do you call like an amphitheater? The amphitheater yeah. And where well. the f- Greek theater basically originated was also in a circular stage mm. form. The whole box theater is a later addition. So even that ritual of exactly. performance. Yeah, and it's fascinating to think how through history, if we think of the importance of myth and ritual in older traditions, and then when we ca- get to the more linear, logical side after mm-hmm. the Enlightenment, we start sitting in rows and we start doing things where we're looking towards or focusing mm. our attention towards like one person. It's externalized. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that's also the externalization of the muse happened in mm-hmm. that way as well, where this person is not being... 
uh, is not transmitting from this being that inspires them. The artist internalized the muse during the enlightenment and now the muse is in you. It's your logic. Mm-hmm. So the genie is now the genius and the mm-hmm. genius is a personal level and it's not mm-hmm. that upward motion from the circle anymore. I love that. The genius, the genius. <laughs> yeah. I'm just imagining like the genie coming into back into the bottle. And yes. <laughs> Like this is my house now. <laughs> so that's yeah, super super interesting. Relating so called to the archetypal short words, archetypal form of the circle is mm. it's gathering. A circle is gathering, and then the final concept was trance, and the sun movements associated with that was leaving the body, flying, shining, flying. We literally leave the physical behind, and you your soul soars up into the sky and in these kinds of states you're able to visit other places you're able to see physical energy they called it um um, which literally means potency Mm. so you can see where the the moon got stuck in a person and how they can remove in order to heal people and they'd be able to send messages to people in other tribes far away if you had family there or whatever so the trance state was a means of communication and a means of of becoming one with everything mm. around you and receiving messages and also giving messages, receiving healing, giving healing. Tapping um, into the collective unconscious. Literally tapping into the collective. And then the most interesting part about um, the sun ritual of trance and the kind of conception, the cosmology of what physical reality is and what the spiritual reality is, is that they sort as imposed on one another and they saw the rock face as the veil between it so that's also why they painted on the rock face it's because the rock face was the symbol of the veil yeah the veil and it was not like the rock face was not a solid thing it was penetrable so that's also oh my gosh it's so interesting i just remembered this in many of the rock paintings you can actually see something coming out of the rock so they would use the natural shape of the rock to draw and they would draw like an eland coming out of it or someone going into it so they oh. literally saw it in their mind as a permeable thing that you can move through yeah. and it's super accessible yeah so even though the shamans were the one that traveled and they were the ones who experienced the other world um the people taking part in the ritual because everyone took part in it or most people took part in it also interesting about in the San culture, I think about sixty or seventy percent of the shaman of the of the people in the community were shaman. So that's quite a lot. If you mm. think about our society today, like maybe I don't know, I don't even want to give numbers, but so little people are actually connected to the spirit world. But mm. in the San community, so many people were. So the sun would travel, and then they would come back into their bodies, and they would like teach mm. the healing, or they would give the message, or relate messages from the an- the ancestors or whatever and then the community would benefit in that way so trance was used for social cohesion was the one aspect and also for healing mm. that's Heal. the two like most important as- aspects of trance and if you think about today's society i think social cohesion and healing is two things that we desperately need mm. um, and i definitely think that i don't want to say necessarily trance states but definitely being able to access altered states of consciousness allows for that cohesion Mm. and for healing to happen on Mm. firstly a personal level and then on a collective level yeah Yeah. i want to say something about transcendence because i've been Mm -hmm. thinking about this a lot within my spiritual practice i'm very focused on 
the body. Mm-hmm. So this idea of leaving the body is weird to me because to mm-hmm. me, I feel like you can also tap into your intuition, which then is that connection to everyone. And we've spoken about rationality so beautifully in the last podcast and how we are all connected and that connection can be experienced from the body it doesn't Mm. necessarily mean leaving the body Mm. so then i was thinking about this transcendence transcendence what does it mean to transcend and i think maybe nowadays what we need to transcend is the mental construct the stories that we have and the transcendence then becomes how much of the now can you experience by transcending the narratives of the to-do list who I am the, Mm. the whole construct around the self who I am and if you let go of the I and the self and you really really hear and praise it then all of the states that you can access through psychedelics and meditation is available at your fingertips without having to take anything so then through practice you can use one modality like meditation to kind of practice that until Mm -hmm. you are able to drop completely into what is now and then feel everything that is available to you in your consciousness so in, in in other words like connecting the parts of your brain that are not normally connected because the prefrontal mm. cortex is constantly active and chatting in the background getting that part of the brain to kind of shut down so mm. that you can make new connections and have access to those states yeah exactly. like i was thinking when when you were explaining about the cave Mm. then I just thought about Plato's analogy of the cave for (laughs) enlightenment and I was like this operates on such a different level but it's interesting like the the cave still because in in the Plato's cave it's almost like the shadow puppets Mm. Um, I don't want to explain the whole analogy now I think you should I'm scared I don't I'm scared I don't um, (laughs) explain it correctly because it was like eight years ago that I learned this but basically the ideas of there's a cave, a dark cave, where the light cannot come in. And there's people who are who have chains attached to them and they are attached to the cave. And all they see are these shadows, which now you could think of like the rock art, not that I want to equate them to one mm. another, but if you just imagine like how you would see that. And they are moving and this is their perception in their conscious state of what the real world and consciousness is like this is their experience of life mm. and then one of the chained prisoners breaks free and escapes you could call him the shaman yes. <laughs> if you want and sees the outside world and realize that it was the sun reflecting on it and the shadows uh, what they perceived as a reality were just sh- shadows of the real life yeah. and this escaped prisoner he sees the sun which Literally, no, it's the sun, but yes, the, <laughs> the sun, as in the one that shines. Um, <laughs> not that, I don't know. Anyway, so, and it almost blinds him, and then mm. that's kind of a symbolizes enlightenment. So, where mm. transcendence is what you spoke of, the Western ideal, or in Plato's story, enlightenment was the ultimate goal. Mm. Um, and he comes back and he tries to tell the rest that you should follow me and we can find enlightenment but most people can't break free from the chains and they don't want to leave the cave uh, which is kind of like a metaphor also in philosophy for like critical thinking and being able to see past your immediate Mm. uh, the immediate thoughts available and reaching a deeper level of enlightenment but I've 
I found it interesting to think about the sun and the more African um, version of that story. And that's also then it's also the analogy of a cave, right? It's a mm. metaphor once mm. again. It's also with the myth part mm. of what you spoke of earlier. So I feel like it's so interesting where here it's not going up to this to the well it is going up as you said in terms of the spirit the trance state is going up but then it's also that thing of going through the rock that Mm. you uh, spoke of earlier so there's so many interesting connections and it's interesting how it's 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 different when you when transcendence is the goal instead of enlightenment because similar Mm. to Nicoline I wouldn't say like I'm fascinated to hear how you speak about this but it's not something that I dabble with regularly (laughs) if I can say it like that like figuring out transcendence Um, (laughs) but I've also recently started like meditating a little bit like and well it's been like 10 days so (laughs) a little bit but it is really like when you start feeling so as like a someone who's so new to this it is interesting like what you spoke of with your body where you can literally start feeling your face if if you feel how your face can relax and you feel how sensations in your body and your whole mind becomes like this <laughs> I don't know how to explain it but it is something that I never realized I could access in like 10 minutes mm-hmm. uh, and that's someone who's like new to a practice of meditation where obviously there's so many things you can do with your body and your yeah. mind not that I want to separate the two necessarily but yeah it's Sorry, that was like a whole. <laughs> when I was in India, it was in a, I was in an ashram for a week, and one of the most profound things that I heard was that you can't think and feel at the same time. Mm. You literally, when you're feeling in your body, you can't think mm-hmm. about it. When you're thinking, you can't be feeling, mm. and it's this multi mutually exclusive kind of thing that happens to us. And I don't know why it's that way, but it's so interesting when you start tuning into feeling how much wisdom there is that you can literally just unlock with the gift of awareness just being aware that there's something there you can like come to these deeper levels of understanding that you didn't know before and which wouldn't be possible if you just thought about something and you can think about it afterwards yeah (laughs) Yeah. and also that i think that what happens is that our mind is a story making machine Mm. so then the moment we have an experience and we start telling ourselves a story about it we get lost in the story and our stories and our the patterning of our stories is also just limited to our experience so say you in the past had a boyfriend that cheated on you Mm -hmm. and now you're meeting someone new and this person is acting in a way that is bringing up memories from that past boyfriend your patterning and your story is going to cause you to maybe create a whole narrative in your head around how this person is acting without really being able to just observe what's actually happening. Mm. So what we're transcending is the story-making mechanism of our mind, which kind of, I think, is what made us as a species species so able to create and innovate and do all this. This is the stories, the fact that we can collectively believe in stories and so, Mm. like believe in stories so hectically in our minds but then we forget that they're constructs and I often say that people come with a story say like now with their creativity they come with a story and the story is so deeply ingrained it's like seven the lawn on the 
32nd episode um, series everyone has slept with everyone everyone is like you know there's a whole politics involved all in the mind there's mm. levels that you create and I was just thinking about another metaphor of the cave and the veil and how they used yeah, we should say that we are sitting in a cave sitting in we're sitting in a cave in my throat I just looked at the other side I was like wow yeah so so uh, one of the the biggest uh practices that I use in my creative practice is this exercise where you scribble mm. and then uh, before you know that you're going to do this I just tell you to scribble mm. and then out of the scribble you have to identify elements so it's almost like the cave and using the cave wall to like see what is there and then make the drawing mm. then you make the drawing and then you create a story a metaphor for what that drawing says about a specific thing whatever you're mm. working on so say you're coming to work with a block of perfection what does this story say about your perfection and then through that veil of the scribble and the pattern you you can kind of br bring out a metaphor, a story. So I just thought that that's quite interesting because I also work with this transcending the mm. story through the line and the, the lines of the, of the cave, you know, mm. and then you can create form out of it and that form creates a new yeah. story. Yeah. And we're digressing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I also want to get back to what Morgan is saying, but it is like, it's also interesting the other way around how stories was also used as a way to transcend yes. again. So it's and then yeah. we attach to them yeah. and then they stop and then mm. yeah. But Morgan, please, um, like I'm so curious in terms of these three concepts that you now used. Mm. How did you connect them to the model and the building that you started working on? Yeah, it's actually so hard to explain it without showing you guys but well, maybe i'll put something i was out. about to yeah. say check our social media <laughs> for the visuals yes i'm yeah. going to be posting um some aspects of my thesis on my personal account as well soon it's on my little planning thing but um so basically i use those three concepts and the way that they related to architecture so the horizontal line the vertical line which the vertical is a trans state um and dematerialization and then the circular to create a narrative of experience so I um, identified the story that I wanted to tell like how do I want people to arrive how do I want them to feel when I arrived um, the aspect of light was super important what kind of experience will light make someone have so is it a dark space making you feel scared is it a bright space with lots of views giving you new perspective um, and how can I have different gatherings, gathering space because at the end of the day it was it had to be a functional building it was a retreat um, for psychedelic psychotherapy so I had to have a lounge and a kitchen and a dining room and a ritual space and sleeping quarters and facilitate accommodation and all these practical things that I had to integrate with the myth that I was basically telling so I thought I thought about what I wanted the story to be what did I want a day to look like what ritual am I taking people through which is like almost the macro ritual how do I want people to wake up so bedrooms were faced east so you wake up with the sun how do I want people to move I used water as a um, boundary so in the sun tradition as well they use water as a metaphor for crossing this world to the next world and there's many cultures who use water as well I think the Nordic people I don't know, there's a lot of cultures throughout the world that use water as a metaphor for like, seeing beyond. Mm. So 
in my scheme where you crossed water is where you crossed from one type of living into the next type of living so you moved firstly from private accommodation into the communal and then into the sacred mm. and i think the part that i like loved most about my thesis was the site was quite steep so at the bottom i had all my commun- communal um, functions and at the top i had a ritual space but I also had this really amazing rock veil. Well, not rock veil, like rock face. <laughs> In my mind, it's a rock veil. And so everything basically happened on the bottom levels, which in our day-to-day life, we as well live on the bottom levels of life, and only sometimes we transcend that. So whenever it was time for the psychedelic ritual to take place, people would literally go into a tunnel in the rock and then climb upstairs and like arrive at the top. And when they come through that, it's so like the tunnel is dark and like very narrow and there's water and it's wet. It's like a claustrophobic. And it's also very symbolic. Like if you walk through the Kangu Grotte. (laughs) Exactly (laughs) like that. That was my vision. (laughs) Um, And if you think about when we also come to a, a spiritual place, we often have to go through a dark tunnel to get there. And it's often not an easy walk in the park. You have to like go down the rabbit hole and the rabbit hole is fucking scary sometimes because you don't know what's on the other side. So that's kind of the experience that I want people to have is like being scared but still being drawn to the light at the end of the tunnel enough to be able to walk that difficult path. Mm. So once they walk through that path and they reach the top, they would um, have a higher perspective. So they'd mm. literally be looking out over the entire landscape, the whole scheme. They could see everything from a new perspective. Mm. But then you always had to come back. So there's always that like sense of integration from I reach this higher place. How do I come back? Mm. How do I integrate? How do yeah. I integrate? I just want to say something mm. about the journey on the way there through mm. the dark. And um, with my work with Alex, who facilitates psychedelic um, assisted therapy journeys but it's also very spiritual journeys it's not Mm. like cold and clinical we also have ritualistic space we have the circle we have the water we have all of that Mm. and they're actually also thinking about building a site in the future she's Mm. in collaboration with this person that wants to build a place in south africa for that and potentially want to also speak to you just about like insights and research and stuff like that she says that often just before the journey people have a lot of resistance because your mm. ego can sense that it knows it's coming <laughs> yeah you they you go through a lot of resistance so it's so nice or not nice that's a terrible word it's so profound that the physical experience of going to the journey goes through this dark tunnel where you have to face your resistance mm. and then when you come back you have to again face the resistance to integrate this because it can be very difficult to bro- to come back to the earth to come back to exactly. the ground so we have in our journeys this whole integration part at the, the next day mm. where you draw and you talk and you you know you have to come back you have to land like Alex says in order to like come back (laughs) into life and bring these teachings that you got into your physical life that's super important um i think integration is literally the most important aspect of of life not Mm. just any psychedelic journey but also when you go through any type of transformational experience for me it was my my master's last year i've literally spent this whole year integrating Mm. and on the outside it may look like I'm not doing much but Mm. on the inside like everything is slightly shifting and aligning and finding its place and like 
forming a bigger picture in a more cohesive way it's almost like recalibrating you know after you've had an experience you have to kind of recalibrate yeah and i think in so many i know a lot of people who who take psychedelics recreationally and i feel like there's always the support is missing the integration aspect of it is missing intention often also as well because if it's just recreational you're just gonna have fun and that's fine yeah but if it if you want to have a transcendental experience and actually transcend a part Mm. of your being or move through something the medicine is going to give you what you set the intention for you know exactly and I i also feel like the medicine is it kind of gives you a vision of what is possible. Mm. It can tell you what you can become. But for you to actually become that, you have to like do the groundwork. You have yeah. to physically each day sit with yourself in ritual, in whichever yeah. way you choose, and build that psychedelic consciousness. Mm. So psychedelic consciousness is not just something that happens on a trip mm. once, like every whenever you take it. It's something that you can like literally practice every mm. single day. And I think that's... Yeah, the most important part is actually becoming psychedelic in your way of being. And by that, I just mean that you are no longer held to the norms of life. You no longer need validation or Mm. other people telling you what to do because you physically, intrinsically know in your body and in your mind what is the right thing for you to do and how you should be of service in the world you know you're aligned with your yeah. higher self or maybe your authentic <laughs> yeah, self geezer. you're not and yeah. i was just saying you're not you're not bound by the chains in the cave that diana exactly. spoke about you choose to let like get out of the cave exactly yeah um so back to the architecture another important aspect of it that i identified with a lecturer he's a really great lecturer really <laughs> what's his name uh hendrik Oret. Okay. He's yeah. He's really good. He's very intelligent, and he we kind of work together really well because I tend to dive, not dive, dive, dive. Someone who like starts somewhere and then like expand to Mm. everywhere. That's kind of what I tend to do, and he draws all the strings together again, and then he like tells me what I'm actually doing without (laughs) me knowing. (laughs) (laughs) Like okay, cool, cool, cool. So um, he proposed the idea to me of the building itself becoming a threshold so Mm. in architecture we often talk about the threshold between public and private and like all those kinds of things but in psychedelic or when you're doing a mushroom journey or whatever kind of journey you're on you are in a liminal state so you're in a state of potential change and having the building actually be a symbol of that where the thresholds are extended so whenever you cross from one point of being to the next you're made aware of it so for example through the use of water or having the literal doorways so that dear kusaina what's it called in english um a door, door frame door frame yeah. Yeah. yeah so door frames instead of being like a small 10 millimeter or centimeter frame we extended it to one meter wow. we literally like go into the tunnel each time you go through the door. door and in the door frames itself there were these lights that connected to the outside so little skylights so you'd be able to if you pause in that liminal state for a second you'd be able to transcend even if it's just in like a very small way cool. and and throughout the whole project there were places where what would usually just be a small threshold a window became 
a seating area or somewhere mm. where you could meditate. And in the bedrooms this, themselves, I designed this whole facade. It was very intense. <laughs> where, like, everything could open up and you can curate your whole experience. And, like, you could have a little light if you want. Or you could have, like, a whole vista open to you if you want that. But it's in the middle of each window i feel like i have to draw it but i obviously <laughs> can't draw on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> but imagine like a quite wide bench in a window and then in the middle when you're like looking at the window you just see a wooden box but when you're in the threshold and you're sitting on the bench you can see that inside this wooden box is an altar ah. so the like recognizing that the sacred makes itself known within a liminal state that's ah. so what i kind of try to yeah, and also the the thresholds between nature and building and how building is actually a part of nature. And the research I'm working with at the moment um, talks a lot about how building and architecture is actually the most intimate way of knowing a landscape because mm-hmm. you have to see the landscape. You have to take what it has to offer and you have to either complement it or you have to reveal it or, f- or you can um, symbolize it through symbols as well. So making um, the spirit of the place, the genius loci, they call it. What's that again? Genius loci. Genius loci. Yeah. Again, for the genius again with the, the genius. genius. <laughs> yeah. The genius, the genius yeah. is now a genius exactly. loci. So making, um, revealing the spirit of the place and allowing for people to authentically dwell in the Heideggerian sense. <laughs> <laughs> what um, does that mean? Yana, I always, I can't explain it, but I understand it. Like, dwelling basically means that you have an, like, existential foothold. Like, you know what it means to be as a man in a place. Hmm. What is the, what is the word you use? Heidegger? Heidegger. Heidegger is a philosopher, but don't ask me to (laughs) say anything about (laughs) Heidegger. You don't want to speak about Heidegger. I don't. Just give us, give us your experience of Heidegger. My experience of Heidegger is being in a third year class in an altered state. (laughs) (laughs) In an an altered state in a sense, not in a psychedelic sense necessarily, but I definitely wasn't concentrating the day I had to learn a little bit about... Heidegger is a very complicated, Mm. complex philosopher, but also like phenomenology and existentialism. And he has... I just know the one word like Dasein and Mitsein, and it's like ways of Mm. being in the world, basically. Uh. Okay, so Heidegger speaks about ways of being in the world. That's like his big thing, I think. Yeah, so time, being and time, I think, Mm. is the one title of one of his books. But I might be wrong, because I (laughs) didn't concentrate. Um, (laughs) There's a a building dwelling thinking as well. Yeah, so that's the the part of where Heidegger relates to architecture. I don't know anything as well. But But he he spoke a lot about how, what, what it means to be in a place. Yeah. And how that relates to our being with like a capital B. Ah. <laughs> yeah, he has lots of like small letter, capital letter, German words. Yeah. And um, is is always like italicized because you is like I I ising now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I we are ising together. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, but it's good that you asked. But it's also mm. it's hard to explain him. But there are people who are 
very much experts in Heidegger who will we like should a, invite on the podcast. But once. I was just asking because if anyone listening listening now is fascinated by Heidegger, then they have already gotten the is with the italics <laughs> and they've gotten the being with a capital B and they got That's a like, few maybe semi-correct titles. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see so if I do can, your own research. I'll Google a Heidegger quote for us to end with at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's also interesting point of departure for how the building relates to the landscape so from the beginning the building is located in a national park so it was important for me to build something that would respect that and for me um, I'm definitely on the verge of becoming like a super eco architect um, super eco with like capital letters (laughs) and um, what does that mean to you it just means that in the way that we build that we actually respect nature mm. and the cycles of nature as mm. well. Mm. So super ego, because how I understand super ego, super ego is... Ego. With a C. Eco. Yeah. Okay. Which I guess is the opposite of super, super ego. ego. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, geez, Mongo, are you a super ego <laughs> architect? Because that's the one that says you like must the and you should. And yeah. yeah. I quickly want to share a Heidegger quote that I just found okay, okay. about dwelling. Oh, nice. Okay, cool, cool. So he says, To dwell means to live our lives. To dwell also means to care for our home. As mortals by living, we are already thinking of the earth, the sky, and the divine because of inevitable death, obviously existential philosopher. To dwell is to preserve the fourfold of earth, sky, mortality, and divinity. Oh, wow. Brilliant. That last line again, the to dwell is to... Preserve. preserve. In the ego. <laughs> <laughs> to preserve the fourfold of earth, sky, mortality, and divi- divinity. Earth, sky, mortality. And but this is just an isolated Heidegger quote that we I We learned about the fourfold in second year, but I do not know anything about, about that. Okay, so it's about like also the vertical and the horizontal and like the sky being an all-embracing dome. No, that's someone else. But anyway, <laughs> it's like so, very connected. So, so not super ego, super eco. Super eco. Um, yeah, just in the sense that it's the theme that I'm currently exploring a lot in my life is is soul-based architecture like how can you actually build to support your soul instead of your ego Mm. because i feel like a lot of the problems we see in the the construction industry in our physical built environment is that people build for the ego yeah and when you build for the ego you build bigger and more than you actually need Mm. and that um translates in so many problems like yeah and you you build denying the eco you know because i thought that was so beautiful when you said the building needs to reflect the spirit of the site Mm. which means that the land that it's built on is not denied it's actually used and it's seen as part of the consciousness of the space like it's not it's it's not just give isolated to raw materials Mm. or whatever but really thought of as exactly the spirit of the place you kind of um sanctify you kind of sanctify the earth by by building well on it i think you like it's almost a religious experience it can be yeah (laughs) it can be a religious experience no like like an honoring to the earth by building a building on it that reflects its spirit and Mm. honors the land because of like the ultimate sacrilegious building concrete ugly building on a beautiful piece of natural land like i think there's nothing worse that you can do to the earth like saying I don't respect you I think what you're doing is not enough I'm going to build something that I think is better and I feel like that's so egotistical like why 
who do you think you are? (laughs) You maybe studied for five years and I think you can build well, but like, who are you actually to be able to say that what you're building is right? And that, that energy with erecting Mm. a phallic symbol on the earth also speaks to what is, what is the integrity of mm. the corporation or the company or the, you know, the whole philosophy around why that building is erected. It speaks to, the, you know, the heart, this, the way that the system is structured to think outside of the earth and not through the earth, you know. And also like that thing of they want people who want to build higher than the tallest church or whatever, mm. like whereas the church and the height obviously also can symbolize the trans part that you were speaking of mm. earlier of like, being able to reach being the closest to it but at the same time it's that literal dig move of being like (laughs) i can go bigger and better it's also the thing about you elevate so elevators literally but also like that's maybe counterproductive to dwelling like on the Mm. earth and on in the space yeah for sure because i think a connection to nature is integral (laughs) sorry Mm. words sometimes just kind of fly out of my mind Connecting to nature and being with nature is such an important part of being human. Mm. Because at the end of the day, we are literally made of the earth. Mm. Like there's some writer who writes that we are literally stardust. We are mm. made of the same stuff that stars are made. Mm. And like kind of relating our cosmic origins, our earthly origins to who we are at the moment and who we can be and who we like are actually supposed to be if we just take some time to pay attention to Mm. what is happening around us and Mm. actually honoring our physical experience instead of trying to just transcend it all Mm. the time Mm. actually saying i am here in this world now and i want to be here Mm. and it's beautiful Mm. because life is really beautiful (laughs) yeah Yeah. and i think so much goes missing and we're just constantly chasing the next big thing like having a big building to signify your company or building a new warehouse or all these things that are referring to things outside us and mm, we need a more. mansion a mansion like who actually needs a big house i'm like thinking about i'm always thinking about my perfect house and at this moment it's literally like two bedrooms one for me and my future husband hi if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> And one where all my seven kids all sleep. Like, they're all going to be in the same room. And why is that a problem? Why do each child need their own room and their own ensuite bathroom? Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And also, I'm constantly thinking about how many houses are standing empty at the moment. of people that own multiple spaces that they've moved through. And um, I don't know if this is correct. It might be the same person that told me that pepper is indigestible and I believe them. But <laughs> the, the <laughs> but I've once heard that there's so many open houses at the moment that it can actually foster all of the homeless people I've in the world. I've also heard that. So whether that's houses or rooms, but there's definitely so many open spaces that we can collectively solve mm. problems by thinking differently about the spaces that we've built. And if the structures are supposed to shelter us on this earth as humans, and that mm. is why we've built them on the earth, then if there's a shelter for someone to live in, then they should live there, not just because of ownership and being a swallow and living half of your life in this part of the world and half of your life in the other part of the world like Mm. yeah definitely and also um one of the philosophers i'm working with at the moment he is of the opinion that 
good architecture should not just be for the people who can afford it. It mm-hmm. should be accessible to everyone. And I fully agree because living in in a house that has been designed for living is such a profound experience. I've spent mm. some time the last month in my dad's second house <laughs> in um, in Andres and it was designed by an architect who I very much respect and it's just such a different experience being able to be in a building where the focus is on the outside so there's all these windows um, the back room where I slept is literally under a 600 year old tree and I wake up every morning with the sun shining through it and then I go to the kitchen and then I open the windows and like the twin bunk counter counter <laughs> is like part of the garden and there's it's just amazing being able to be in a space where living is considered and I think so many architects and builders and people who um, even self builders people who just hire a, a um, oh my gosh words the uh, draft, draft person, person. Sure, um, I've never even heard that word. <laughs> <laughs> to just quickly draw something for something they just want to build. That's just such a like unfounded way of thinking about space making. Mm. Because especially if you're building with something like concrete, mm. it's going to last forever. Like, mm. Concrete is not recyclable. And like literally every kilogram or something of concrete that you put in a building is going to somehow end up in the earth at some stage and it's not fertile you can't plant plants in it it's just gonna be there and just having that respect for not only the earth but also for the materials that you're using and um, there's another architect called Louis Kahn that's quite famous and he's known for really tuning into what the material wants Mm. so what does a brick want to be a brick wants to be an arch Mm. Um, what does concrete want to be? Concrete wants to be a flat plane with the light reflecting off it, or it wants to be a sculptural shape, or it wants to be this very like heavy building. That's what concrete wants to be. What does wood want to be? Wood wants to be light. It wants to be under trees. It wants to be raised from the ground. What does stone want to be? Stone wants to be very much in a natural landscape. It wants to safeguard you. Like, what is the kind of architecture that the materials? Are telling us to use them for mm. so it's, it's basically just yeah respect for the landscape respect for the materials and respect for yourself as well because you deserve a space that amplifies your living and betters it in the most like existential soul-based way possible not just for your ego because when you build for the ego it's never going to be enough mm. you're always going to want more you're going to want bigger and we've known by now that like that doesn't bring you happiness having a big mansion doesn't bring you happiness having a big house where people can gather that brings happiness but how many days of the year is that house standing empty Hmm. so so uh, that's a beautiful thought and because you started speaking about the eco Yana and Margo is twinning hard today. <laughs> they by accident wore the same green jersey. So I think it's so cute. And they're like <laughs> sitting across from me. So they're also like speaking about philosophy. And then the thoughts are balancing off each other. So you guys are also twinning to the future now. I've heard this morning. Both of them are on their PhD paths. And 
I want to ask you, Margot, to speak a bit about the future. What are you working towards in your PhD? Mm. And then if you want to jump in at some point, Jana, and say something about how you're linking from the philosophy side, I think that will also be interesting. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, I've actually touched on a lot of the themes that I'm working with in my PhD, one of which is landscapes. And I relate my ideas to myself in titles. Okay. <laughs> so title for the PhD. And the title at the moment is um, The Art of Orientation. The, the Art. Art. Art of Orientation. Um, reconciling Inner and Outer Landscapes. Reconciling in an Outer Landscape. Yeah. Okay. Um, so how, what happens inside you, your emotional well-being relates to space and how your space can influence your emotional well-being. And um, that also relates to getting to know a landscape because I, I can't just say, okay, this is how you should build because the landscape should tell you that and your personality as a aspect of the unified whole should tell you how to build. And also I think because there's so many different types of people, there's so many different types of architecture. So for example, I don't know if you guys know about Ayurvedic principles. I think you may be what? Ayurvedic principles. Ayurvedic. Mm-hmm. Maybe I know so the principles, but not the title. It's basically like very simplistic in a simplistic sense. It's an Indian way of eating, of treating yourself. So in Ayurveda, there's three types of people. There's the heavy, set, earthy types. Then there's the fiery types. And then there's the airy yeah, types. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah. I'm earth. <laughs> Are you earth? Yeah, really? yeah, I'm an earth oh type. Alex is an air type. Olivia is also earth. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. What I think are you? Yana's, I'm actually triadoshic, which means I don't know what the fuck I am. <laughs> or are you Still all figuring of them? it out. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm all of them. But thinking about how your like archetypal expression as a person can relate to the kind of spaces you feel comfortable in. So some people feel more comfortable in airy spaces. Some people, like I know Yana's husband, feels more comfortable in like a dark cave-like space. Some people like to be on top of a mountain. Some people like to, I be, like to be on top. Yeah, <laughs> under the mountain. I don't know. <laughs> so when you're considering all of these things, what does that tell us about architecture and how, how can we start to formulate a language which respects the person? Because what I've encountered with Heidegger and Christian Norbert Schultz, the other person I'm working with, he's already dead but most of them are anyway (laughs) is that they all talk about these concepts in very abstract ways so talking about the landscape they would mention man is dwelling or man should dwell or man is finding an existential foothold or whatever and the qualities of man I feel is so neglected because Mm. we can only build as we are we can only create as we are and we can't move people well, we can't transcend we can transcend that to a certain extent but when we really relate to ourselves in an authentic way and know what our expression is our true expression then we can build and create in ways which serve the collective in ways that is beneficial mm. and understanding firstly who you are and then being able to translate that understanding into physical form so whether that be through art or through writing or through architecture, I think each person has their own kind of expression. And um, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment, but it's constantly changing. Mm. And I'm currently reading the basically, <laughs> it's a book that every architect should read, but no one does. <laughs> <laughs> 
and is the one I was telling you on about this morning as well. It's called Genius Loci by Christian Norbert Schultz. And it's it basically analyzes landscapes and tell us tells us how to understand landscapes and what meaning landscapes hold. I feel like I need to read that even it's though I'm not a I am fantastic. <laughs> it's so and I've I've read a little bit here and there, but I've never like fully sat with it and like mm. engaged with the text. But it's so profound and there's so much wisdom. Like he literally says everything in like a sentence. I'm like you. <laughs> sure. You is there, one. <laughs> is there a, a audio book as in I can paint what I read yeah, it? I quote unquote. I'm not sure, but actually, like the PDF is so shit as well. Like it's really unclear mm. on date. Like. Um, so I'm struggling a bit, but I don't know. Maybe if I have time someday, I'll like transcribe so it into a PDF. <laughs> so it's nice and neat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, is that something you have the skills to do? I don't know. It's something I always want to do, like making things just more accessible I and easier you. to understand. Well, not understand, but easier to engage with. Like I don't want this sickle, man. Like, yeah. If I want to do something, I want to do it now. And, like, you rather sickle to make it easier. <laughs> yes, exactly for other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's pretty much it. But it's so interesting how this also relates to Jana's topic because Jana's definitely more into like feminist, the feminist aspect of space making. And literally last night I read a passage where he was talking about the menhir in megalithic architecture was like the big stone thing that was like set upright as like a symbolic thing of gathering. And then um, the dolmen, which was related to the womb space, was like a man-made cave from these massive stones where they would like put them together in a way which symbolizes the inside and that like the inside was then symbolic of the world which was seen as like a whole as a whole like the world is one whole um and that just raised so many other questions like how can a feminine not necessarily feminist but a feminine understanding of being relate to architecture and how can that kind of architecture inspire more of the feminine in us because i think like in the community we are in we speak a lot about the divine feminine and divine masculine and the divine something feminine is something that's so neglected in society and that expresses itself in architecture in like very profound ways and i think when you start incorporating feminine architecture as a way to almost activate that feminine energy you can start to like do very interesting things and that's kind of low-key what I've been doing in my own practice all this time is trying to create centers to create spaces of gathering to create spaces where community and connection and transcendence can take place so yeah that's pretty much it (laughs) (laughs) cool thank you I've decided during this entire conversation that you are definitely going to design my one day fabulous studio (laughs) I'd love to I just want to like build things for people like I don't need to get paid I just want to make no you need to get paid there needs to be a value exchange they can can, give me food (laughs) they can fly all over the world yeah they can take my vacations it's fine I'll go (laughs) well I definitely want to know she will one day design I hope so a space well yeah or redesign doesn't have to be from scratch but I love adaptive reuse is very yeah I love what you said of like knowing yourself and then consciously engaging with the space that you can be in I mean I didn't know that about concrete Mm. for example and like the permanence of some of the things mm. we put on this earth 
but yeah it's so beautiful listening just to the way you describe things like with the materials like what what is this i feel like that was a poem like yeah. what is a stone one what is a wood one <laughs> you should write that down i can't take credit for it though <laughs> but yeah it's i feel like i'll talk about my topic maybe on another day but i definitely drew a lot of inspiration also from the more spatial aspect because i feel like architecture and philosophy have so many mm linking points and art mm. as well and mm. basically th- those are the three things that i'm now incorporating in in, in my pro in my thesis project mm. so yeah you'll definitely hear about it in the future but it's so fascinating to me to hear you speak to the spatial aspect of it awesome yeah. thank you so much is there anything else that you want to add closing thoughts no that's pretty much it that's i've it. had such a good time yeah yeah it was awesome. such a fun chat yeah. <laughs> yeah i can't wait to share this <laughs> yeah me send too send it to everyone <laughs> someone asks you what was your masters about you can just send them a just link just listen to my podcast yeah. <laughs> easy you should also record people should record one for like when someone asks you how like how far are you with your masters oh, or your yeah. phd you can just be like listen there yeah <laughs> well like when you go on a travel it's like how is india it's like let's just listen to the podcast <laughs> this is legitly what i do like with the mm. wedding episode and people ask me about it i send them the link <laughs> yeah thank you for listening to eric podcast Um, You can find all our social links in the description. And we appreciate any support or donations. It can be in the form of word of mouth, supporting us on Patreon or liking our content on Instagram. Uh, So be sure to also check out our social media. Everything is linked in the show notes below. Um, We hope you enjoyed this episode. And remember, stay stimulated. stimulated.